Welcome to the Gut Gazette podcast, where we have gutsy conversations about everything related to your gut. Mental health, food, relationships, exercise, there are so many factors that are linked to your gut, and here we talk about them all. I'm your host, Megan Marsiglio, and I'm on a mission to break the poo taboo, support digestive health, and destigmatize digestive issues. My passion for gut health stems from personal experience. I have IBS and Crohn's, and I know firsthand what it's like to live with a gut that has a mind of its own. But I've come to terms with the fact that it's my normal, and because of that, I've learned to embrace it. My goal is to have you embracing whatever it is you're going through. I hope to inspire self-advocacy in all of you, and after listening to each episode, my intention is you walk away feeling confident and empowered about your gut, mind, and body. Welcome back to another episode of the Gut Gazette podcast. You may have noticed I didn't release one last week, and that's because things got a little bit busier than I had anticipated. I was at the Atelier Collective Conference in Toronto, which is a one-day business conference that hosted 700 women at the Evergreen Brickworks, and it was a day full of networking, meeting other entrepreneurs, and listening to industry leaders share their advice, strategies, and stories. We got to hear from Jessica Mulrooney, Coach Carey, Jillian Harris, Ashley Freeborn, Janet Zucrini, and so many other ladies. It was just so neat to be all under the same roof. So I was there not just as an attendee, but a brand partner. And the last few weeks and months leading up to the conference had been so busy prepping for it as we were there to take over the venue bathroom. So you might have seen some of the photos I posted on Instagram, but We transformed the bathrooms into a beautiful space for attendees to feel comfortable in. It was just another way to spread awareness about embracing your gut, loving your gut, and exemplifying that gut health and gut issues don't have to be an ugly topic. So anyway, that's my long-winded reasoning for skipping a week with the podcast. I didn't intend to, but here we are today with a brand new episode, and I'm so excited for you to listen to the discussion I had with Rachel Melinda, who is many things. She's a holistic nutritionist a disordered and emotional eating coach, she's full of body positive inspiration, is the host of the Fill Your Cup podcast, and she's the communication lead at Joyous Health. So before I get into it, I just wanted to share a bit of a small world story with Rachel. I discovered her about a year ago, maybe a little bit longer, because she was hosting a kombucha workshop that one of my friends told me about. I couldn't go, but I started to follow her on Instagram and then one day while I was watching and listening to one of her Instagram stories, my husband, who isn't very active on Instagram and doesn't follow the health and wellness scene in Toronto, asked, is that Rachel Melinda? And I casually said, yep, but then was like, wait, how do you know Rachel? And turns out he went to the same high school as her and just recognized her voice. So anyway, I reached out and connected with Rachel. And when she started her podcast, I asked if she would be interested in having me on as a guest. And we recorded an episode for the Fill Your Cup podcast a few weeks ago. And then just last week, I interviewed her for the Gut Gazette podcast. So in this episode, we chat about intuitive eating and what it is how to do it, how it differs from traditional nutrition. We discussed how to tackle food fears when you're dealing with a digestive concern, how emotional eating can be a positive experience, and honoring what works best for your body.
Rachel. Now we're sitting down and chatting on the Get Gazette podcast. I loved chatting with you a few weeks ago on the Fill Your Cup podcast. I think we had a really great conversation. And for this episode, I can't wait to hear more about what you do and everything about intuitive eating. So I like to start each episode by handing it off to you to introduce yourself. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. It's so nice to be on the other side of the mic and connect with another podcaster. Um, I guess for those of you that don't know me, my name is Rachel Melinda. I'm a certified holistic nutritionist. Um, I'm playing around with the second title right now. I'm an intuitive eating coach or a disordered and emotional eating coach. Kind of cover it all. I basically help people heal their relationship with food and establish a healthy relationship with food and their body as a whole. Um, What I discovered when I started practicing as a holistic nutritionist is that a lot of people knew a lot about nutrition already, but they had a very broken relationship with food and were kind of abusing it, always starting fresh Monday and just always kind of felt like at war with it. And so I kind of recognized something there through the pattern of the clients I was seeing, plus my own personal experience with that. And I was like, I think we need to get to the bottom of this before we follow any other nutrition protocol in the future. So that's primarily what I do now, just really helping people break up with that diet mentality, learn to listen to their body again, eat intuitively and feel good as a result of doing that, right? By listening Mm -hmm. to their body, plus learning what foods make them feel their best. And on your website, you say that you are, like you just mentioned, a certified holistic nutritionist and a disordered and emotional eating coach, but you say it's a bit of an oxymoron. Can you kind of expand on why that is? Totally, yeah. So, I mean, nutrition, while it's amazing, it comes with a lot of rules. You're really only doing it right or you're wrong, and there's not a lot of room for that in-between zone, that room of that zone of flexibility, that flexible zone where you might be having drinks with friends after work or having nachos on the weekend or be patio hopping on the weekend sort of thing. And whereas emotional disordered eating says eat whatever you want and recognize that by putting certain foods off limits and restricting ourselves with certain foods, that's that's actually created the issue. Mm. So it's kind of tricky and yeah, I'm still struggling with the oxymoron, but it's hard because I believe in both so much. But how I approach it with clients is I say, okay, I acknowledge that nutrition is amazing and I love that and I believe in it. But let's recognize that right now you probably know too much about it, that it's paralyzing. And let's go back to the beginning. What what foods actually make you feel good? What foods aren't you allowing yourself to have that um, you really miss? And, and you might actually feel sat- more satisfied just by having those foods. Um, so really working on that relationship with food first and then addressing nutrition at the end. But any nutrition recommendations I give are always very flexible. And what are your clients like? Like who do you typically see? I, I primarily work with women. They're often very like type A, very organized and they're the ones that come to me saying, I'm doing all the things and it's still not working. And I'm like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you've like, so you've like, they're so uh, loyal to a plan and they want a plan. Actually, then that was kind of how I restructured my approach too, because I used to just see people on like a one-off basis. Like I book consultations and they could book follow-ups when they wanted. But knowing that I was dealing with these type of people that like a plan, I did put a plan in place in terms of how I work with people. So that's why when I mentioned like when I'm working with people, we start with that initial consult and then each of the follow-ups are themed, starting with breaking up with that diet mentality, learning to listen to our hunger signals, learning uh, what foods that you actually enjoy and make you feel good. Again, all the way to making it to the end where we're looking at nutrition again. Well, in the past, I've gone to see a nutritionist or a dietitian, and I'm also type A. And you get that plan, and because you're type A, you stick to it, and then because of it, it can kind of create that disordered eating or 
add to what you might already have. So I yeah. love your approach to how you see clients and help them with their food and their plans. Yeah. That's it, really great. Yeah. And it's actually, and I guess another way I could characterize them is that they're generally people that are already quote unquote healthy. You know, they're already doing all the things. They're already eating healthy. They live a healthy lifestyle. So, and that's probably why they feel very conflicted. And then they come to me and maybe see the things I post on Instagram and talk about why that might be, why they might not be able to achieve their their goals, even with their healthy lifestyle. Do you see clients that have gut issues at all? I think gut issues are always kind of at the root of things, like knowing that the gut is like the control center of our health. It's also where a lot of emotions are stored. So while we don't primarily focus on that, um, I think there's always an element of gut issues with people that I'm working with. Do you mind giving an example for when you're seeing a client who is trying to figure out what they can eat and what they can eat, can and can't, what, how to do like an elimination diet or what foods they should be avoiding or like, is there kind of a rule of thumb to Mm -hmm. that or? So if someone came to me, well, actually I haven't put anyone through an elimination diet. So if someone need to come to me for that, I would like advise them to go to someone else. So it's not that I don't believe in like an elimination diet, but Mm -hmm. we're working that now we're working on like a therapeutic sort of diet, right? We're trying to work towards a greater cause. People who come to me are primarily coming to me to heal the relationship with food. Once they do that, it's kind of like check. Okay, let's move on to the other stuff. So yeah, if, if I were to, like if there were foods that were present in someone's diet where they're like, Hey, I'm again, working on the whole relationship with food thing, but also still eating these foods and feeling crappy. I sometimes I recommend people to like maybe take note of those usually like it's you can take a mental note too like I know if I like staring at a pint of ice cream like I know it's not gonna make me feel my best and probably gonna be a little more gassy after and I know that right we all know it once we start paying attention to um, how food makes our body feel so that's probably how I would coach people like I would say more so listen to your body and gravitate to those foods that make you feel good and from like an energy standpoint too what's your energy like and how are you digesting foods what does your poop look like Look at all of those things. So instead of the elimination diet, it's more so tapping into your intuition and you're all about intuitively eating. Yeah, exactly. For those of you who don't know what intuitive eating is, can you expand on that? Yeah. So, I mean, we were all born as intuitive eaters, right? When we were hungry, we would cry and we would get fed. And when we were full, we'd turn our face away. We'd say we're full. That That's what, how we were saying that we were full. Um, and we've lost touch of that, you know, because a lot of us, well, we get thrown into a society and there's all these messages of how we can eat and can't eat. Um, so the goal is to basically come back to that sort of intuitive eating. So it's, it's eating when you're hungry, it's stopping when you're full. It's really honoring the needs within your body and recognizing that each person has their own unique needs, which is a really special gift to discover. And when you get to that place, it's really enlightening because I mean I know for myself growing up I'd be like how come so-and-so can eat that and it does nothing to their body but when I eat this it has a different response and now I know it's because oh I'm I'm an individual I have unique needs and so it's all about honoring that and learning what works best for your body versus what doesn't. Would this be an example of intuitive eating? So you're sitting on the couch it's like 9 30 10 o'clock you're watching a Netflix show and it's kind of almost a habit to be like, I want a snack. I want some popcorn, but you might not even be hungry for it, but your body's kind of craving it. Would that be intuitive eating? I would say that's emotional eating. Oh, yeah. So you're probably responding to maybe a bit of boredom Mm -hmm. while you're, I mean, 
I don't know if you're bored watching TV. I get bored watching TV. I think it's just like sort of that habit. And it could also be things that you're seeing on TV too that kind of sends that emotional response. Um, intuitive eating would be, it, it, there's there's no definition for it. Like I could tell you what I ate in a day, which might give an example. Okay, this would be an example of a, of a day in, in the intuitive eater, but it's this isn't like a strict boundary around this. So I might wake up and have, like I'm, I might wake up and not be hungry right away. So I might wait out maybe two to three hours if I want until I'm actually hungry and then I might have a smoothie and maybe that smoothie wasn't very filling so like an hour and a half later I have like a proper lunch or something so I have like a big leafy green salad with quinoa and nuts and seeds and protein because those are foods that make me feel really good and in the afternoon like I may or may not have a snack depending on what I feel like And then dinner um, could be anything. It could be soup on a hot day because that's just what I want. It can be pizza. It could be another salad because that's what I want. What I'm getting at is that there's no, there's no real rule to as to what that looks like. It's really, it's very flexible and fluid, right? Mm -hmm. What about those empty calories like ice cream? It's not going to necessarily fill you up unless you had a pint of it, Mm -hmm. but it's a fun outing. Would that be emotional eating? Like you're with your friends, it's a hot summer day and it's fun to eat ice cream. What would that be? Yeah. So there is like, I mean, emotional eating is also a very normal thing. Okay. So it can be a positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. It can be a celebratory thing as well. Because I think it's fun to, sometimes I'll get a snack because I'm watching a movie and I could not be hungry at all, but I'm like, I want this snack because it tastes good and it's fun to eat. Totally. And I think another element of intuitive eating is that there are no rules around it, right? So there's no way to, there is no way of doing it right or wrong. Like there is for nutrition. It's just really honoring what you want and trusting that your body's going to get what it needs, which can be scary for some because they might be like, okay, I'm going to trust my body. Oh no, I keep eating. I keep wanting burgers. How come I, I'm being dramatic here, but like I keep wanting burgers. Why do I want that? And, but eventually like you're going to gravitate back to the foods that make you feel really good. Mm -hmm. Think of like, if you go away on a long weekend or something or on vacation, you're, you're eating outside of what you usually do. You're usually eating more indulgent foods because you're in vacation mode. And then you come back and you're like, I just want a salad. Yeah. You know, then that's, that's not anyone saying that you need to have that, you know, that in your body. So it's doing that on the regular. Yeah. That makes total sense. I remember going to Europe. I remember coming back and just craving vegetables. Yes. I mean, it was all great food, fish and chips and, you know, yeah, steak and frits and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it is like, what is my body craving? Exactly. Yeah. I did the same thing last year in Colombia. It was like they fry anything they, they have, they fry it. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I also don't really love fried foods in general. Like I just, they don't really excite me. And I came back and I was like, salad 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 <laughs> it was all I wanted <laughs> so funny on another note we're drinking this yogi Egyptian tea it's dreamy I used to have this all the time in university it was like my drink for when I studied oh is it bringing you back yeah it kind wow. of is it's so good yeah and I used to drink it for my gut but you said it's also good for yeah your I'm adrenal. Drink, I'm drinking it for my adrenal health right now love it for stress relief so good <laughs> it almost tastes like it's sweetened it does you know? it, it messes with you like I had to check the label one time to be like there's got to be sugar in this mm-hmm. but it's, it's really, really fun good. anyway I digress on your website and on your Instagram and social media you talk a lot about real ass food and I love that and I was wondering what makes food real 
Mm-hmm. So this is an interesting question because I love this whole real ass food thing. It's something a cheeky little term that I coined myself like a couple years ago. And it initially it just meant like eat as much real wholesome food that comes from the earth as possible. But let's not stress about it when we have an ice cream or something. But now I'm kind of torn with which direction to take it in. Like, do I kind of disassociate myself with it? Because I mean, part of intuitive eating and being an intuitive eating coach is that I'm not supposed to tell anyone how to eat a certain Mm -hmm. way. But again, I'm playing with this whole oxymoron title being a nutritionist and also, I guess, an emotional eating coach of sorts. So it's like, okay, which, like, how do I honor both of those? So right now I'm sticking with it. But I guess, again, I, I do believe in eating whole foods and real ass food, again, is like food that comes from the earth, food that you'd find on the perimeter of the grocery store, lots of color, lots of freshness, lots of micronutrients. Mm -hmm. Um, It was actually a big part of my healing journey too, which is kind of how that all came about. So I mean, I had an eating disorder growing up followed by what I call like a 10 year career in disordered eating. And I was eating like, like living off of aspartame and eating those hundred calorie snack packs. And then coming home, like it was, it was after university, so it's summer, and I was like living with my mom, and um, she was making more of our food, and it was a lot of like wholesome, seasonal, fresh foods, and it was the first time where I was like, wow, like food is amazing. Food tastes, whole foods taste so good, like a like a pepper or a cucumber in the middle of summer. Like everyone knows what that tastes like, and it's just something magical. And that was, the, I also started to discover how those foods make made me feel, and that actually helped to build more of a positive relationship with food. I was like, wow, food isn't out to get me. Like food is actually here to nourish us and make us feel really good. And um, it's really helped me to like appreciate where our food has come from and the food that we get to nourish our bodies with every day. Like it, it really is a miracle and a gift. I love how you said food isn't out to get you because as someone I've also uh, struggled with an eating disorder in the past and um yeah it was that whole thing of like food is bad i mean you have to eat food and it was kind of interesting as i was going through recovery because in a way it's like an addiction right and if you were an alcoholic or a gambler you avoid those things but as someone who had anorexia you can avoid food. I mean, I was, but in order to recover, you have to gain that relationship back. So that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned you also had an eating disorder. Is that kind of what prompted you to get into the field that you're in now or, or what kind of prompted you to become a certified holistic nutritionist? So yeah, I've always been more of a health nut. And actually, once I overcame my eating disorder, I always thought like, okay, this is going to be the work that I'm going to do. But I I think I pictured myself working in like more of a hospital setting of sorts or even going like a therapy route. But yeah, I think because, I don't know, from a young age, I've always been amused by health and food. And my mom was always kind of living a quote unquote healthy lifestyle. And like I would go to the gym with her. So I think that kind of started getting the ball rolling and then... Yeah, I don't know, like, and even if, like, my friends would probably call me a health nut growing up, like, I was always the one that was eating, like, carrots and hummus while they were like, let's go to McDonald's, and I was like, "Eh, I don't really care for McDonald's, and I think, sure, some of that might have been coming from a disordered eating mindset, but I think it also because, um, like, I, I genuinely enjoyed these foods. Can I ask, when you had said that you recovered from your eating disorder, you used quotations in the air? Oh, did I? I didn't even realize. Yeah. Would you say you recovered? 
I think now, yeah. But I was probably doing it there because I think I was only physically recovered. So so at the time when you decided to go down this path? Yeah, well, I mean, my, my actual eating disorder, like I struggled with the anorexia, that was actually very short-lived. Mm. Um, the physical effects didn't last long, as in like the weight loss, because... I mean, I was like forced to gain weight really quickly. I was playing house league soccer at the time. And I remember my doctor was like, you can't play house league soccer until you gain the weight. And to me, I was like, like, I better gain the weight. Like that was like, and again, I didn't know I had an eating disorder. Like even when I found out I did, I was kind of tricked into the situation of going to my doctors. And I was like, what? I don't have that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think like physically I, I was recovered on paper. I gained the weight. Therefore, I was no longer considered anorexic. But the mental effects stuck around for a long time. I would say that whole 10 years that followed was triggered by my eating disorder. And yeah, I, I don't feel connected to it at all now. I don't think. And even I remember like after I like let go of my eating disorder or overcame it, I like wanted to go back. Like it was like a, and I don't even, I still don't know what that means, but I, I remember I would like follow blogs to try to like connect with that community again. And it's really, really weird. Yes. I've totally felt that way too. And it's funny, or not funny, but it's it's strange how when you gain the weight again, you look healthy. People are telling you you look healthy and then you feel like, oh, healthy. I don't want to look healthy. Yeah. I want to I wanna be back in that mindset. I yeah. want to look like how my mind's feeling. Yeah. And I too, once I got into that healthy state physically, it took so long for my mind to catch up and Thankfully, I'm also fully recovered now, and I have no relationship to it. Mm -hmm. It's amazing, but it's it is interesting how your mind plays with you, and totally it's so odd. Yeah. Did you have any gut issues during the time that you struggled with your eating disorder? I actually didn't, and I've I mean, knock on wood, I've been pretty lucky, I guess, in that regard. I haven't really ever struggled with like noticeable gut issues. Um, but I know that can be a result of having, having an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. I always wonder if it's the chicken or the egg, like did the eating disorder cause the gut issues or did the gut issues cause the eating disorder? Because yep. for me, uh, when I started having gut issues, I just had this huge fear of food, eating certain foods cause I knew that they would make me sick. And then it kind of went, it's kind of a blur now cause I'm like, did the fear of foods create this other environment in my mind where I didn't want to, I don't know. It, it's just totally, it's, it's very blurred. All the lines yeah. are blurred at this point, but I, I do wonder what caused what. And I'm wondering with the clients that you see, do you see clients who have eating disorders and gut issues or do they have gut issues and then end up with eating disorders? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think. I honestly think it can go both ways because yeah. I can see probably more of the way that you described in terms of gut issues evolving into some sort of eating disorder, or I like to use the word disorder eating. I actually don't treat people with eating disorders such as anorexia or bulimia just because I'm not qualified to do so, but definitely like it would put you in that disorder eating mindset because again, when you're diagnosed with some sort of chronic disease or illness that requires more of a restrictive protocol or way of eating and living that can definitely trigger sort of patterns, right? Mm -hmm. But again, it can go the other way too. Having an eating disorder is going to slow a lot of things down in the body in terms of motility in the gut and the way food is absorbed and digested, and that can cause gut issues as a result. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So I want to go back to that point about 
fearing food. You know, when you have a digestive health issue, you're nervous to eat certain foods because you're afraid they're going to make you feel sick. How can you change your mindset and tap into that intuition of not fearing that food anymore or, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So I think there's two things here. Like a fear of food can come from like a fear of it making you feel sick because you have a digestive issue and it can be a fear of food because you're afraid of it, that it's going to make you gain weight or that sort of thing. I think in the way of a gut issue, um, I think in that way you need to, again, honor the fact that not all foods are going to jive with you. And that's just, that's just that. But change that around and start, it's, it's like what you told me on my podcast, celebrate what you can eat. Um, I mean, you had a great story about that too, but it's so easy when you're in that mindset of like, oh, I can't eat these foods to kind of fixate on that and feel restricted. Whereas if you look at all the other foods that are available to you and start exploring those and having fun with those and trying new recipes with that, you, it won't feel restrictive. If it's in the way of someone that is fearful of food from a weight gain perspective, um, there's a whole process we go through that. But I mean, and they can talk to you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you have that fear. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, the first thing would be like removing the idea that foods are good or bad. Um, neutralizing all foods, taking that morality away. Because again, when we call a food bad or um, we say we can't have that food, we give it power, we put it on a pedestal, and then we start thinking about it all the time, right? Whereas if we just neutralize those foods, now all foods are um, on an equal playing field and they don't have such like, they're not so emotionally charged. Mm. Um, Yeah, there's a lot to go into that, but you can chat to me about it later. Because food is just food. Food is just food. It doesn't have power. It doesn't have feelings. They don't rule you. Yeah. You are a human. Yes, exactly. I love that. Oh, that's awesome. So when I first stumbled upon you, you were teaching kombucha classes. Mm -hmm. I saw on your website that you're teaching another kombucha class. There's kombucha right under you. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I see that. That's a huge canister of kombucha. There's a lot of kombucha. (laughs) So you're doing that event. When's that? So I'm doing, I don't really do in-person workshops anymore because I launched an online program called DIY Kombucha Online. So I teach people how, and I want to make it more widely available to people. Um, So that's why I launched that. But I do love the in-person feel. So I'm doing a workshop at Left Field Brewery in Toronto on July, Tuesday, July 16th. Um, And then I've also started doing like at-home kombucha workshops. So like for like a girls' night, I'm actually doing one tomorrow. Um, hence why there's like a bunch of jars on the counter. <laughs> um, but like going to a friend's house and hosting this kombucha workshop for her and her friends. And it's kind of like a fun way to like connect over something that is like a shared interest of everyone's. And you know, if you're already gathering for a girls' night, it's like, okay, it's like your hired entertainment for the mm-hmm. night. Plus, you get like a bunch of awesome knowledge and like kombucha tastings throughout. So that's yeah. cool. It could be like a kombucha bachelorette. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And what other exciting happenings do you have coming up? Ooh, exciting happenings. Um, well, this website rebrand is going to really kick my butt, but in a great way. So, but there's a lot of goodness coming, um, in that way too, like working on like new free offerings for people, um, audio based recordings outside of, uh, the failure cup podcast that kind of like free sort of, trainings or coachings on some of the topics that I already cover. So I want to work on things like that. Marketing my program that I put people through so you can like really understand what's what that is all about. The Failure Cup podcast is coming to a, an end of season one shortly, but um, we're starting again in September. So really just working on those things for now. Well, I just love your holistic approach to food and movement. And it's really refreshing to meet a holistic nutritionist where there are no boundaries with food. So 
awesome I, kudos to you like I think that's just so amazing oh, I love what you're doing thanks Everything's it awesome feels like less of an oxymoron now yeah <laughs> <laughs> that it's celebrated yeah it for sure is where can people find you so you can find me online on all social channels at Rachel M. Melinda um, over on the Failure Cup podcast on a weekly basis until end of June, starting again in September, but lots of episodes there. Um, and rachelmmelinda.com. I have lots of articles, blog posts, and recipes there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Let's connect online. The next time you're on your favorite platform, look up the Gut Gazette and feel free to say hello. Or if you fancy a read, head over to thegutgazette.com for all things gut.